Hey, this is Devin Michael with the Higher Quality Podcast. Super excited to be interviewing you. So could you introduce yourself, your role in the company that you work at? Hello, my name is Ariel Groupie. I'm Senior Director of Talent Solutions and Agility, and I work for Ascension. What is top of mind for you as a talent leader at your organization? What's top of mind for me right now as a recruiting leader? Oh, there's so many things. I would say a big one is how do we tighten the gap on our talent shortage, especially when you look at skills, particularly in healthcare where I'm focused at. So looking down the line two, three, five years and saying, how are we going to have enough healthcare workers to take care of our aging population? What's something unique about you as a talent leader at your organization that makes you a perfect fit for that job? What makes me uniquely the perfect fit for my current job? I'm definitely unique. (laughs) As far as the perfect fit could be debatable. However, I do take pride in my ability to empathize as well as put myself in multiple different pairs of shoes. And I do love shoes. Meaning it's not just one-sided. I'm not defending recruiters and recruitment to the death on things. It's really understanding what's their challenges, what's their obstacles, what motivates them, make successes, but also all of the other shoes that we either support or collaborate with. We made it to the last question, and this one's a fun one. What is the worst question you've ever been asked in an interview? All right. What's the worst interview question I've been asked or seen asked? This isn't a fun one, but it's kind of one of my pet peeve worst interview questions. And it's quite common where we ask, what's your weakness or or what's your top three strengths versus your top three weaknesses? And I have never seen value come out of those weaknesses as everybody tries to spin them as a positive. So I, I do have a lot of interviewing fun stories, but specific questions, I would say that is the worst one. And it just will not go away is what is your weakness or whatever your top weakness is. What's up, everyone? I'm Devin Michael, co-founder of Qualify and the host of the Higher Quality Podcast. Super excited that you're here listening today. I am joined by Ariel Groupie, the Senior Director of Talent Solutions and Agility at Ascension. And I'm super excited for this conversation because we have a lot to unpack. Ariel, can you give the audience a better intro, a little more sizzle on top of what I said for your job title? I know there's more underneath that. So just why don't you take the floor and tell them a little bit about yourself? Oh, goodness. Sizzle. I would just say (laughs) (laughs) I really love process and I love reporting and I love making an impact. So It's really how many pieces can I get my hands on to to either affect the process that affects reporting, how to take reporting to really say, hey, what can we do better to make a bigger impact? So that's really what most of my job is. And the solution part is what gaps do we have, right? What are we not doing today, whether it's innovative, whether it's what a competitor is doing, but it's really goes to the basis of what do our associates want and how can we get closer to all of their wants and needs within, obviously, a realistic way. Key point there. So earlier in the interview, which they just heard, you said that you love shoes. Most people say they love to wear multiple hats, but you went with shoes, which I liked. So first question is, do you actually love shoes or was that just your analogy? I love shoes. 
I love shoes so much. They're fun. Me too. You can be so fun. <laughs> you can have the most boring outfit and spice it up with shoes. So that's why I love. That's them. actually my like strategy: is I wear all black and then I let my shoes be loud. Exactly. Right? Yes. It's a strategy. Ooh. What's your favorite pair of shoes that you have? Ooh, that's hard because it changes per season. It changes every year. I do have shoes that I've had for like twenty years, which makes me feel old nice. now. <laughs> But I would say my new favorite pair, I got these red blinged out boots last year and actually wore them to New York in Christmas time. And I got so many compliments. Like they are very in your face, but I love them. So those are my, a, my favorite pair right now. Nice. Nice. I just started watching Yellowstone. Well, I didn't start. I'm like almost done. So now I'm like <laughs> slightly considering, is there a future with me in cowboy boots? I don't think so. There could be. But- I want, I want to be Beth. Like, how can I be a nice. badass like her? Because that's amazing. <laughs> she is legit. She's probably one of my favorites for sure. But anyways, so you mentioned multiple pairs of shoes, loving to, or wearing multiple hats, whatever you want to call it. You kind of mentioned it in your intro. You're also mentioning it in the interview. So it's very clear, like you do a lot of things for a lot of people at the same time, I'm guessing. What is the, if you could like break down not your day to day, but more so like, what is it specifically that, what are these shoes looking like in Ascension for you today? Oh, goodness. Again, I think it's really taking a step back and it's a heavy side on the strategy, right? Where have we been? Where do we want to go? How do we get there? How do we get there specifically in my world in reporting standpoint? And how do we take that reporting, really understand it, tell a story with it, tell the why behind it so we can have an impact taking processes that, again, recruitment, you always have to be, how do you improve? How do you make more efficient so you can get things through quicker or get quality through? So really kind of looking at that, which reporting can tell you what can be broken in your processes. And then the other part is more of understanding our talent, labor and landscape and how dynamic it is today and what people are really wanting and what do we provide today or or what should we be providing and, and how can we create solutions and implement them? How do you think about should? The word should I like because I think the future of talent should be a lot of should. Where do you get your guys' data from? Is it mostly, I mean, there's there's a few options, right? It could be from your recruiters at the ground floor just telling you, or is it more from the actual candidates themselves telling you? It's all. I mean, everything is tracked, right? So from our ATS and really building out what are all the pieces we need to track, right? It's using external research and data and bringing that and layering that in. It's taking what candidates say right from certain aspects and bringing that in. And again, we've got other systems that are involved, whether it's, you know, the recruitment advertising, whether it's your HCM and layering all of that together. So a lot of data. Complex. Yeah. Which is why we see the year long implementation cycles. Yes. yes, Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Gotta love it. Okay. So you obviously do a ton today, but maybe it wasn't always like that. Did you, I asked this to almost everyone, it's like, did you think when you were, let's say in college or sometime around that age, did you think that you were going to be in talent acquisition or talent? No. Firstly? I don't even think people realize it's a job. Like I don't either. That's my Everybody I've met has fallen into <laughs> recruitment, right? And yep. it was actually kind of funny because I, I graduated college with a marketing degree I've always yeah. worked. I worked since I was 14. So it was very much like, got my degree. Now I want to do this. I didn't want to do marketing, even though that was my degree. And I had a friend like, oh, this person's looking for 
or recruiter. And I'm like, what is that? And then like Mm. recruit for technical people. And I was like, I can barely open up Microsoft Word and you want me to find technical people. And so it was pretty funny because I was like, there's no way I'm getting this. I got the job, didn't know anything about technical recruitment, but you learn it. And I ended up loving it because I didn't have to code, but I got to Mm -hmm. so many different varieties of technical folks and understand their world a bit more and what they're looking for and their aspirations. And so that's how recruitment started and how I got into this industry. Gotcha. So you started as a technical recruiter. That was like your first role in recruiting. Yeah. Which is, I feel like that's rare. Like (laughs) most people are like, I started in the staffing where I'm just hiring manufacturing jobs, hourly jobs or something like that. But you started in like a really high skill. Like, do you remember what your first role that you ever Probably. That makes sense. I mean, at the time, there's a lot of Java development was big. You Mm -hmm. had SQL, you had business analysts, project managers. And again, like anything, I think the big part was how do you understand it enough and know what you know and know what you don't know? Like, I'm not going to go talk to a developer about coding. I'm not going to ask. I don't know what the right answer is. But learning how, which is recruitment, learning how to listen. Let me let you talk and I can understand what you've been doing high level, what you want to do and kind of connect that with what the leader's requests are. Gotcha. Yeah, that's legit. So (laughs) you started as a tech recruiter. Yes. And now we're at Ascension, which for those who don't know, Ascension is one of, I don't even know what number ranking you might, but I know they're one of the three or four floating, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as health systems goes. And so how did that switch happen? And tell me about it. Yeah, that was a big. I did technical recruitment for about four or five years. And then from there, I worked at another large organization, a career builder actually, for about 10 years. And so really the arm of career builder that I was in is more of their RPO. We partnered very closely with multiple different clients, big, small, multiple different industries, and really listened to be like, what are you trying to solve? Like, what type of talent are you trying to hire? What's the volumes? What's the timing? And so Again, started there as a technical recruiter, worked up to project management, to actual management, to director level, enterprise director, and then kind of felt like I hit my cap there. And I always said, if I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave for healthcare or I'm going to leave for tech and ended up running into finding an opportunity with uh, Ascension, which is no joke, March of 2020. I started in healthcare the day after Chicago shut down for COVID. So wow, I know. (laughs) Great timing on my behalf there. (laughs) Yeah, you jumped straight into chaos. Why not? Let's just go for it. (laughs) In that moment, did you have any idea that that was what's about to happen? Or was it like, literally, I'm like, oh, shoot, like, I just jumped into the hardest industry in the world right now. No, you have no idea. I mean, nobody could prepare for COVID, let alone like switching jobs and getting in there. Mm -hmm. But you did feel, especially as months went by, a huge sense of pride because obviously I'm not a clinician. I can't be there in the front lines to help, right? And so you just felt like this, how can I help, right? And that was the fact that we were recruiting and that was our focus. How do we get more nurses, more patient care techs, more techs, anything to help the patients, to help the communities. And so it was a very prideful moment to be like, I can contribute and this is how I'm going to contribute. And so it was very rewarding as much it was also very heartbreaking because you were very close to it too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I have a similar story in the sense of 
jumping in. So I went full time with Qualify the week before the shutdown. So I was like, man, we were going through summer. We're like, oh man, we're we're not gonna have a business after this, you know. And so it was crazy to walk through that. I'm sure it's way crazier for you. I had to imagine like your onboarding was like way shortened because you're like jumping into the weeds, maybe. Yeah. Right. Right yeah. away. And. It was, but you still have so much compliance and regulatory. So it's like, you can't really cut corners. They have to go through certain. So it honestly would just, it would depend on regulatory, like if you can clear people. But honestly, that was one of the things I kind of walked in. I was like, how do we make this process as short as possible and as least burdensome for hiring leaders who are obviously out there serving the community? And so that Mm -hmm. was a big driver as well. It's not just how do we push volume through? How do we make it easier? How do we make it better and as much of a great experience for our new hires too? Because it's not like there's this nice, easy ramp up time. Like everybody's giving all hands on deck at any moment in time for this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, living in the strategy realm, I think it's exciting. It's probably, I don't know if you feel it, but it's, maybe it's sometimes frustrating because like you don't get to actually execute as much. But talk to me about some of the big wins that you've seen since you've been there as far as that you've had a hand in shaping a change in Ascension's processes or in their strategy for recruiting or for talent? Like what are some of the things that you've driven that have been great for the company? Yeah, I think honestly, overall, not just Ascension, but I think any organization that I've worked for and and it's how my brain work is really how do we become more efficient with what we have, whether it's tools and technologies, whether it's process and people, I'm not afraid to question like, why do we do that? And people are like, oh, just because we always did. Like, well, it doesn't make sense anymore. And so every click you can take out, every new system that can help either convert more or get more or ease administrative burden from somebody to how do we decrease steps that candidates? Because at the end of the day, like they need to have a great experience, right? Whether they're getting hired or whether they applied and we're not selecting them. So I would say with any of the work that I've done, that's how my brain works is how can we build this out? If it's already built, how can we make it more efficient and a bigger impact and solution overall? Yeah, I'm biased, but <laughs> I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to say my bias. What's but your do you have, <laughs> what a perfect segue. Do you have like a thing that you're like, this has got to end like through recruiting in general? Like for me, I'm like a big proponent of never having a candidate enter their resume information if you ask for a resume, for example, right? Okay. Do you have anything that you're just like, almost like it grinds my gears kind of deal? Like, um, I want to end this. Oh, <laughs> man. This thing. Mine's a unicorn too, especially coming from where I was prior to Ascension. There is not one fully, I don't want to even say integrated because that's the problem you have. Oh, we can integrate. Like, can you? There is not one full recruitment machine when you think of technology, it's all piecemeal because everybody only invests so much time and energy and money into one piece. So it's, you're really good at an ATS, but you don't have the onboarding technology or you don't have the front end career site conversion technology. You don't have interview scheduling technology, right? It's all piecemeal. You don't have market intelligence and data intelligence feeding into this to say, what is your supply and demand? And so There's been a few that I'm aware that have tried it and have not, again, it just kind of becomes this vague where (laughs) these three pieces are good, these aren't. And so that me is like, how has this not been solved yet or created? And obviously I think that goes to the other piece where it's like, 
it is so complex. Recruitment is not simple. It is not matching person to employer or position. It is so complex. And that's why I feel like this hasn't had a, a full line and a full life cycle solved yet. Yeah, I would say I, I wish. I, I want to say I wish, but then I'm like, I don't know if I want that problem. Like, <laughs> as, a, as a technology founder, I'm like, I don't know if I would ever want to you know, go after that. And I think there's, you know, they have the work days of the world that are claiming it, but like Plain. there's pieces that are just not, they're not there. there. So then you so always I, have I to get that. something else and snap it on and integrate. And that doesn't always feed well. And so that's, that's the challenge that you're left is inefficiencies, right? And they're out of your, out of your hands because you want the best. So you do this, but it, it's not always the best. So, yeah. So you talked about this too, in your interview and your pre-interview. So we'll call it the talent shortage for mm-hmm. healthcare is no, no secret by any means. But you did say something about skills that I thought was interesting. So how are you thinking about approaching skills first mentality as I'm, is kind of what I'm getting mm-hmm. from that? Is that what you're thinking? Or is it something else when you're thinking about how do we tackle this talent shortage in healthcare? Yeah, I think it's both, right? Like, so you have the immediate need, right? So you have to start Approaching things differently. How do we train? How do we develop? There's the new term, what quiet hiring, where organizations are really taking people and skills that they have and upskilling into different roles, not being like, I'm upskilling you, but like, hey, we're going to pop you here and, and have you grow into this type of role, which I think is great and it's natural. But I think it all comes to a very big disconnect. And it's a disconnect. And this is no qualms against anything. This is just what I see of like our just education overall and matching it up with what's our our need for the future of our workforce. And that's where I feel like there's the biggest gap, right? Like if I was to go in college and you were to be like, I was like, oh, I want to be in marketing. If somebody would have said me like, no, there's not going to be that many jobs here. If you should go into healthcare here, or you should go into vocational schools here. This is where the need is. You should go into STEM, right? And so I feel like having that misalignment, that's what we continue to see. And then you see bigger pushes in like healthcare, right? With, you know, at the end of the day, we've got a retiring population and an aging population. How are we going to take care of them when we don't have enough? So again, there's what can you do now to say, how can I hire? How can I develop knowing they're not going to have the exact skill set I need? And what are those programs, which a lot of organizations are putting in today or their funding education? But I really do think it starts like when you're 18 and about to go to a college, like how are they directing you to say, this is where you can get a job versus you get another psychology degree, which is what everybody gets and there's no jobs for you. (laughs) Just shade to the psychology. I did not. I love that. But everybody like... I would have loved to get a degree in that. It's so fascinating and interesting, but it's demand versus supply. And how how are you aware of what that demand is? If the university isn't saying, this is where you should get your jobs versus everybody just thinks, I'm going to go with my passion. Like, Mm. does that align with a job and a career and, and what you're really looking for? So do you think future of talent is education? I guess, like, it's like, hey, the future of talent is not, there is no talent unless we create it kind of deal. We have to create it. Yeah, I do. I mm-hmm. think. And again, it doesn't mean it's a college degree. I mean, we're, we're short staffed in skilled labor <laughs> because yeah. we pulled that bridge too far to the other end saying like you have to have a bachelor's degree and now we're short on technicians and all of that. So I do think it's more of how do you educate 
those that are coming out of high school to understand what the demand is so they can really take an educated next step in aligning their career. Gotcha. Yeah, I love that. Because I feel like it's the shift that has to happen. It's, and, I, and I think what also can happen as a result of this, and here's selfishly why I love it, is because I think it leads to more opportunity to have diverse pipeline. Because there's yeah. talent out there. Like I think Darian, my brother slash co-founder slash CEO, he said this the other day when we were on another podcast, he said he believes talent is actually there. Like there's a talent shortage only because of the, what you're used to getting mm-hmm. is short, right? Yeah. And I feel like that was insightful. I was like, I don't know if he's right, but I do think there is opportunities to expand what we think fits the mold and then right. helping them get there, if that makes sense. And there's other aspects. Cause to your point, I don't know. I mean, I saw stats a stat, right? 95% are made up, but I saw somewhere like you could still fill all of our, our jobs in the U.S. with unemployed and we still wouldn't have enough talent, right? But I think that there's so many other variables, right? That I can't contribute to the workforce if I can't get childcare or if I can't afford it, right? So there's so many of the, those like socioeconomic factors that mm-hmm. need to be taken into a play for somebody to actually you know, join the workforce and, and participate. That's a good point. I have not thought about that. <laughs> I feel like I've thought about a lot of things. I've never thought about that. So that's cool. Cool. So switching gears a little bit, but this is just a, a moment to brag on yourself, which I've gave you that moment in the pre-interview and I'm giving it to you again. What is your talent triumph? I think this is like, what is the moment where you were like, I am good at this? <laughs> what is the moment that I was good at this? I don't know. I This one I might have taken. Or, I <laughs> yeah, you, might have a, you might have a prep dance. That's okay. It could be, what is the moment you knew you were great at this? Or it's like, hey, what is one of the, best moments that you've had in talent acquisition? Best moments I've had. So I would say there's a couple of pieces when I realized, okay, I really like this and I enjoy it. And I think it was more of like when you can consult and you can feel free to share knowledge, expertise, and data intelligence like that to really back up like how somebody can get to the solution. And I love that. And I think I really saw that the last whatever five plus years of my career is gaining that. However, I would say the actual moment where I was like, I want to stick with this, like this is a meaningful industry and career path was actually pretty new and pretty early in my career. And if you were around, which I'm sure you were, 2008 was rough. It was very rough. And it was rough for a lot of people, regardless if you were a new grad or you had 30 years of experience in an industry. And I kind of looked at it as like, it's a job. It, it got me to move it up to Chicago by myself. It was great. And then 28 hit and it was, I was lucky enough to keep getting jobs. I was getting laid off, but I'd get another one. And I worked for Crew Builder at the time and we were doing these hiring events and we were doing them for an engineering company and a large IT company too. And we would give offers the same day. And that was something I was very proud of. Like something we pushed hard, like you got to make a decision. You can't just like sit on these people. And I saw so many grown in my mind, my little young mind, grown Mm -hmm. adults cry, cry. Mm -hmm. So grateful. So thankful. And it was like that moment where you're like, I'm helping make an impact in somebody's life. This isn't just filling a job. It's not just appeasing an organization to fill a job. 
So that to this day, I have vivid memories of like tears and people crying and people have come from other countries and have visas. And they're like, this is going to keep me here. long. Like, it was just very impactful. And so I would say, those are very key moments across that whole year that kept happening, where people are like, I've tried to get a job for a year, and they have so many skills. And to get that job and to see that reaction, I was like, I like this. This is how I can make an impact and was very passionate ever since. I love it. I think, yeah, I, I think that's why I like, you can go either way with, with recruiting. There's some frustrations. There's some yes. not, you know, some great things. But I think that at the end of the day, I think the fact that it's great people is what's at least got me drawn towards the group. Great. I think everyone's like nice, which I mean, has its drawbacks when you're trying to sell technology. Everybody's nice. So no one tells you no. <laughs> but also, there are some really just genuinely great people and talent. So I think that's kudos to you. But I kept you on the high mountain and now we're going to go the other direction. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> so you have peaks and valleys in your career in talent acquisition. Talk to me maybe about, does not be company specific, but a horror story or if that's too dramatic, some hard moments that you've had in, in talent as it relates to the job. I have lots of horror stories, but I don't know that they're as, as relevant You'd probably laugh. I tore my cornea at an actual hiring event, had to get rushed to the hospital. Like it was a whole, had to go on a plane where I, to get back home where I couldn't see. So I have lots of funny horror stories like that, but like actual work related, I think things that were kind of low points that I have taken lessons from was really to be more transparent, to be uncomfortable having uncomfortable conversations, which seems general and generic, but it really does. When you start off in recruitment and you've been in it for a couple of years, sometimes you just feel like you're an order taker. This is what a leader wants, or this is what an organization wants. And I need to go find that puzzle piece and present it and, and hope that they like that. And you do that for a while and you realize like there's a lot of mistakes that come with that. And so having uncomfortable conversations up front, like you are not going to find this purple squirrel. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to give you a chance at your current job, at your current size of an organization and develop and grow you, you need to do the same for others. And so it's really kind of advocating with data and Intel to say, here's what's realistic. Let's set the right expectation with you and with candidates. And I have seen so much growth and so much more positivity on that impact and filling jobs and with the right people than I have just saying, taking at face value what somebody wants even though in the back of your mind, like, there's no way you're going to get that. So I would say that that's my biggest, it took a lot of beatings, right? Because at the end, it comes back on me, like you couldn't fill my job, you couldn't do this, even though you're asking for something impossible to just be very open and honest up front about what the expectation should be. This must be a healthcare thing. Because <laughs> I swear, I've had another conversation with Jeff Green, whose episode was very similar, like, in the sense of, the hiring manager issue. I'll call it an issue. I don't know if it's actually an issue, but I don't think it's unique to healthcare, but I think the way that you both have just described it was crazy similar. And honestly, I get that. Like I got pushed back in engineering a lot. Like this person Mm. doesn't have the skill set I need. And I'm like, you're going to talk to them. Like they're really good. And then I've had 
again, in my mind, it's like these grown men mad that I've scheduled an interview for somebody I feel is a great fit and they don't match all their calls. And they've come back and they're like, I am so sorry. This is the best candidate I've ever talked to. And it's like, <laughs> thank you. Just listen. Of course you know? it is. So yes, healthcare seems that, but honestly, I've seen it across the board in all of the industries I've ever helped support. Yeah. We want that perfect that pushback. Yeah. I love the pushback from like being order taker. I think that's yeah. too easily. I feel like recruiters fall into like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, order taker is a yeah. good way to describe it. Cause it's like, you're just kind of processing, you're in the weeds all day and you're not getting strategic. Yeah. And then you mentioned earlier efficiency. And I think when I think about the future of recruiting and what recruiters are to evolve into is going to be consultants and like more consultative, mm-hmm. more strategic, but they can't get yeah. there unless they get more efficient and out of the weeds of the admin work. So when mm-hmm. you think about efficiency, what is the reason that is so important to you and in, in your work and, how you think? I think to that point, efficiency with anything means you can do more in the areas that are more impactful. So to get out of the weeds on administrative work means you can actually provide a better candidate experience. You can give more time to them. You can give more time to leaders, right? So efficiency makes you quicker, right? Like you think efficient, you think quick. How can you get things through, whether it's a candidate throughput, getting them through that process quicker, getting them to start quicker, right? helping ease burden from a hiring leader. Like this is one aspect of their job is to hire. That is not 50% of their job, 40% of their job. So how do you make it quick and efficient and easy for them to find the right talent to help fill their roles and be a part of their team? So I don't know if that answers your question, but again, I I am very big on efficiency. I've never liked busy work, right? Nobody likes Mm -hmm. busy work. Nobody likes administrative burden, how do you get rid of it so you can focus your talents and efforts, your consultation in a more meaningful, impactful way? I could go on for days about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Again, bias, but I could go. I think it's the most overlooked. Weirdly, yeah. it feels like the most overlooked and game-changing thing a, a recruiting team can do for themselves is like efficiency. Because yes. everyone thinks efficiency means bad candidate experience. And I feel like yeah. those are have always been like at odds and I don't know yeah. why that's the case but teach their own on their on their thought process but <laughs> we'll move into the final segment of the show where i don't know if you knew this but we like to give the audience a chance to get involved in the episode so we do a question of the week okay i ask it to you first you get first pass at it and then there's a link in the description for the audience mm-hmm. so those who are listening you can go to the link click it and you'll get an interview question from me where you can give your best answer and if it's good enough or if it's the best i'll put it on the show and you'll get some sort of reward from yours truly so your question ariel for your week is what is a unique way you measure the success of your talent acquisition efforts i'm going to state this as a generality because there's a couple i don't know this is a tough one what is a unique way that i measure success in your talent acquisition efforts. In your talent acquisition efforts. I think, and I don't know if this is unique, but that's the hard part. Sometimes you think things are unique and sometimes, you know, they really are. Is really the candidate experience, right? How do we measure the candidate experience, not only with ourselves, but with their whole process of onboarding and starting? And, and I think that's a big struggle with a lot of organizations in general is like, how do you create that experience 
not just again through the pre-boarding, I call it like prior to day one, but like your first 90 days of employment, like it's so key that they feel warm and welcomed and have all the tools and resources. And so I feel like we really do focus on measuring that. So that way we're not just like, oh, look at us, like we're doing great. It's like, where are the flaws? So we can continue to work on those flaws. And a lot of times it's very individual. It's not a broken process. It's not a broken leader. It's something small and minute that we would have never thought of. So I would say really measuring their experience and taking the bad grades and growing upon those to make it better. Because again, Mm. just like I would want to be treated as a new candidate and I had a great experience in my onboarding, I I want the same for everybody else. I like it. So the unique part, if I'm spitting it back at you, is keeping a special eye on the bad grades. Yes. Yes. I think everyone's going to navigate to the like the A pluses and they're like, oh, exactly. we're doing a good job. Like that's I'm like, this doesn't tell us anything. Like, again, great. But like, where do you always want to grow and develop? And you can only grow and develop if you look at the bad grades, if you look at the flaws, that you look at your mistakes and say, how can I do this better? And so right. focusing in on that, I feel like will make you stronger versus just saying, oh, I think we're doing a good job. We're mostly positive and hanging your head up to that. You get the unique stamp. I'll give you that one. That's good. <laughs> I appreciate your time. So moving towards the end, I think everyone that hears this episode is going to want to connect with you. How would you like for them to keep up with you, learn from you continuously and follow you? Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, right? I'm on Facebook's mostly a personal, but I'm on Facebook too. I would say LinkedIn is the main channel unless they can contact you and you could be my admin and just forward people to me as well. Would that work also? I mean, that works. If you want it, I'll do it. <laughs> we could try it. No, I, gate, I'm I lo- a good gatekeeper. I, I No, I don't even need a gatekeeper. I am very, <laughs> you can tell I'm an open, I'm an open door. I love, I mean, if you're in recruitment, you love people, you love making connections. You love learning a lot. I know I do. And we learn a lot from others and banding together, even, you know, if your competitors are not like we're all in the space. And we all have to help each other out because we can't solve a talent shortage or a skills gap one organization at a time. We got to work together. You heard it here first. It's a fact. Work together. Solve problems. Make recruitment better. That is my thing. So, Ariel, appreciate your time so much. Uh, It's been great. I've learned a lot and I've already talked to you before and I've learned even more. (laughs) So I know you're going to get some followers out of this. If you are listening to this episode, make sure to follow her connect her on LinkedIn. She is an open book and she will actually accept your request, I'm sure. (laughs) And then don't forget to participate. Do the interview of the week. It's a link in the description below. And then if you like this episode, you saw value from this, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a beat. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Likewise.